0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash chapters. There you'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. On today's episode of Chapters.
1: So I pulled out my books and the cover was blown off of the book and I picked it up and I looked at the second book and there was uh, there was a big hole in that book too on just one side and there was nothing coming out the other side so I dropped the books back in the backpack and uh, I went back in woke up my roommate I told him what I had seen and he, uh, he didn't believe me so he walked into my room and took the books out of my bag saw it for himself and then dumped the contents of my backpack on the floor and sure enough, a bullet was sitting on top of the pile.
0: The phrase, this book saved my life, is a cliche to which many readers may relate, but today's guest knows to be literally true. On this episode, we hear the story of Jason Durfus, a reader saved from a gunman's bullet by three newly checked out library books in his backpack during a shooting at Florida State University's library on November 20th, 2014. We talk about his complicated relationship with reading after that day, made more difficult, perhaps, by the role reading played in his life before the shooting. Growing up, Jason shares, he read and loved the Harry Potter series, studied books on China and its history to prepare for the adoption of his sister, and drew on reading and writing in his high school years. I can't help but reflect that we recorded our conversation on November fifth, two 2017 the same day a single gunman took 26 lives at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, the largest mass shooting in that state's history. I was not aware of the tragedy until after our conversation ended, but just reflect with sadness on the frequency with which these events occur in our country and offer this episode for all those touched by gun violence and those who hope and work for its end. I want to especially thank Jason for being so reflective and Not just in sharing the story of that awful day, but in his openness and sharing the story of his life. This is Jason's story. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and I'd like to start just by asking the question I ask everyone um, on the show to begin, and that's, what's your earliest memory of reading?
1: My earliest memory of reading has to be, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? (laughs) Um...
0: (sighs) What's that about?
1: Uh, I mean, it's just about animals that see other animals. And it's very simple. Um, I think, I think it's my earliest memory because, like most children, I wasn't able to pronounce all the animals' names. So um, my parents always used to tell the story about how when it got to yellow duck, I used to call it a yeo duck. <laughs> And um, so that kind of solidified that book as one of my earliest memories of reading.
0: Did your parents read to you often growing up?
1: Yes, they did uh, very often. Some books were read um, as a or for for a group. Uh, for example, the Hunger Games series was read to both of my younger brothers, and my my younger sister did listen in. Um, specifically with the second book, but I don't know that she had as much of an interest as they did. She's much younger. Um, she's adopted, so she's uh six years behind my youngest brother who is six years behind me. So there's Oh wow,
0: that's quite an age range. Yeah, there
1: there's a bit of an age gap um, there, so you can imagine with my mom reading kind of that young adult Type novel, uh, she wouldn't be too interested in that. Um, when when they were reading that, which was two or three, four years ago, maybe now.
0: Were you reading those books too? Like, were you talking about those books with your brothers? Or
1: I actually never read The Hunger Games. Um, that was not a series that I ever took much of an interest in. And mm. kind of watching the movie when it came out because they were gung ho about watching the movie as soon as it came out in theaters so i saw it with them and that kind of solidified that it wasn't necessarily a bug
0: (laughs) it wasn't and
1: i i think the reason being was i had already read a couple of those dystopian type novels at that point and so Mm -hmm. a book aimed at a younger audience just didn't feel like something that i was um gonna be interested in and um Hmm. I think the, the book that really solidified that for me was uh, reading George Orwell's 1984 in high school, which, I mean, hmm. most kids do read that in high school or Animal Farm. So they have, um I think they have an exposure to dystopian novels early, but I just feel like I had outgrown that genre, maybe, by that yeah. point. Hmm.
0: So after, before your high school days, when you're sort of coming into your own as a reader, what are the first books that you remember reading on your own that you thought, these books are really mine? These are books that mean something to me.
1: For various reasons, Harry Potter comes to mind. Um, I'm I'm 24. So the first book came out when I was just learning how to read. And (laughs) it was, it's a pretty simple book. You know, the, at least the first two are, are fairly simple um, and they're not too long either so about the time I was in in between first and second grade I was um, kind of picking up those books and by third grade I had devoured the entire series that was out up until that point which I think was five why... books
0: oh wow why do you think those books were so interesting to you or meant so much to you
1: I think the fantasy aspect of it, um, going on adventures, fighting big creatures, using magic, um, I, mean, I think, at least in my experience, a lot of the kids I hung out with were very interested in that kind of thing. Um, hmm. just really the adventure part of it. Cause, um, it was just, it was this made up world that you could explore and, uh, there were these made up games. They had their own sporting leagues. The classes were were interesting. Um, the dynamics of the wizarding world versus the Muggle world was interesting, and so it was easy to just grab a mm-hmm. stick off the ground and yell "Wingardium Leviosa!" at Somebody, you know, it doesn't take <laughs> it doesn't take a lot to kind of reenact that.
0: Right. Hmm. Do you think that you're more interested in that world than it seemed more interesting than the world you're in? Like going to school at Hogwarts seems more interesting than your school in third
1: grade? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're learning about levers in, in third grade and simple machines. And I wanted to be learning about, you know, uh, Expelliarmus and, and different spells. I wanted to, to fight people with magic. That would have been so much more fun and interesting than learning about simple machines.
0: So you weren't that into school when you were in third grade or just not the kind of things you were learning then?
1: To an extent I was, but I was uh, always getting in trouble for either daydreaming or talking in class. It didn't really hold my attention. (laughs) I think most people nowadays would have given uh, me a diagnosis of ADHD um, Hmm. in elementary school. And they probably wouldn't be wrong, but back when... I feel like an old man saying this, but back in my day, we we didn't get those, you know, kind of classifications thrown about as they do now. It was just this kid needs to shut up, you know, and I did. That's that, that's what my teachers kept telling me was, you know, sit down, be quiet, keep your hands to yourself, do your do your hmm. schoolwork. And I wanted hmm. I wanted so much more. I wanted to go beyond those four walls and go on adventures
0: Hmm. And so were books a way for you to do that?
1: Yeah, I think they were. I think they were my big escape. Um, And not that I was discontent with my life or unhappy, but Mm -hmm. just I felt that there was so much more to go explore. And the books were kind of that way to do that.
0: Yeah, when you reflect back on it now as an adult... Do you, can you make any sense of what kind of adventures you were choosing for yourself at that stage with books? I mean, Harry Potter being maybe the most significant example.
1: I think so. I think that I can very easily look at the different books that have gripped me over the years and see how they play into both my development um, as a kid, but even as an adult. Um kind of maturing and finding those books that spoke to me on a thematic element or um, on a topic that kind of helped to define who I was as a young adult.
0: So after Harry Potter, what's the next book or author that you reflect on in a similar way as being significant?
1: A couple of books that we read in high school. um, I know that's kind of a big jump (laughs) <laughs> I, w- I was homeschooled through middle school, and there were some there were wow. some good books that that my mom picked out for us.
0: Yeah, can you maybe talk a little bit about that for people who haven't been homeschooled what's that what's that like
1: well if um, if you're having trouble as a young you know teenager um, making friends and, and adjusting socially, homeschooling's definitely for you because you don't have to deal with kids your age. Um, and that's certainly... Is that what was going on with you? Partially, yeah. Um, elementary school was fine for me, and then in middle school, I just really didn't feel like I was all that connected to anybody, and I didn't feel like I could get along with people very well. And Mm. at that time, also, our the public school that I was going to was very bad. It just, the, the curriculum was terrible, the classes I had very high marks in without doing anything it just I needed a program kind of curtailed to me and not mm-hmm. the um, and not the public curriculum and the the right. side effect was that I could kind of work on my interpersonal relationship also just um, kind of work on that development and come into high school a more well adjusted person and that's that's what happened
0: Wow. Hmm.
1: Is it for everybody? No, I don't think so. But for for certain people, I definitely believe that it is very healthy and, and I would recommend it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like for you, it was the solution to what was going on in middle school for you. So, I mean, was it such that, you know, you described being bored and like daydreaming in elementary school. Were you through homeschooling able to then explore different things of interest to you to read things maybe you weren't familiar with before?
1: Yeah, and I'll give you I'll give you two examples. The first is anytime I was daydreaming or I had all this energy that I needed to get out, um, we would stop the lesson and then my mom would tell me to run around the pool until I was tired. <laughs> and, you know, you can't do that in, in public school. You can't tell the kids, you know, go run around in the hallway until you're tired. You just can't do that. Mm -hmm. You tell them to shut up and sit down. So this Mm -hmm. was really helpful for me because I could burn off all that excess energy. And then when I came back inside, it was easier to focus because I I wasn't so hyperactive. Mm -hmm. And the second example I think I would go with is for our history lessons, my mom told me that I could pick any topic that I was interested in. And I thought... That's uh, that's unique. I haven't really done that before. So I got on the family computer and I started looking at some topics that I might be interested in. And I mentioned earlier that my sister is adopted. She was adopted from China while I was in middle mm-hmm. school. And I knew that we were going to go over to China to adopt her. So I asked if we could study the Chinese dynasties. And hmm. she said, perfect, yeah, let's do that. So we spent an entire year studying the Chinese dynasties and we took over the the dining room and put up these big poster boards all over the wall with information on the different dynasties and who was the emperor and what dates were, did they last through. And um, so that to me it was kind of an adventure in and of itself because I was reading up on all of these different interesting individuals who controlled this massive country a united massive country for such a long time and um it kind of read like a book to me i read like a fiction hmm.
0: wow that's really incredible i mean I'm, I'm wondering one how do you think looking back that that was your way of sort of making sense of um the upcoming adoption of your sister and and two when you then, did you go to China, you said, with your family to adopt your sister? Yes, my whole um, I'm did. wondering, wow, that's incredible. So I'm wondering, as a second question, how then that year of preparation of your immersion in history, which you beautifully describe as almost reading a novel, what did it make, you know, what did it mean for you then to kind of enter the book, to go to China?
1: I feel like it was just that. I felt like I was literally stepping into this world that I had read about for an entire year and it was, hmm. it was it was making my fantasy a reality in a way. And you know how when people say the, book, the movie can't live up to the book because everybody has their own interpretation of the book and they have it playing out in their head? To me, that was very true when we got over there because hmm. I had read about... All of these different places that exist, that, you know, they're they're still there, but they're modernized. They're not like they were Mm. 800 to 3,000 years ago. So some of these places that we went to, I was just thinking to myself, this is so different from what I imagined. But the one place that Mm. really kind of came alive to me was the... Great Wall. We we flew into Beijing uh, initially and on I think the second or third day we took a trip up to the Great Wall. And we got to walk on it and go up and there's a section of the Great Wall that actually dead ends. I mean it eventually ends somewhere, right? So mm-hmm. the section we walked to the end of the Great Wall and I thought to myself, this is amazing. I'm in a piece of history. I've read about this. I Read about the construction of it and now I'm standing on it. This that was for me almost the ultimate adventure.
0: Wow, that's really incredible. And did it prepare you at all? I mean, is reading about the history of a country anyway a preparation in any way a preparation to then adopt your sister from that country? Like did it help bond you to your sister or help you feel prepared for this, you know, significant event in your family history?
1: I do think so. And one of the big reasons is we did go over the one child policy that, um, mm. that was enacted in China. And that was the, the backdrop of why we were adopting in the first place that so many girls are abandoned, even if they were the firstborn, if a son comes along later, they're abandoned and dropped into an orphanage, sometimes worse. Um, just so that they don't have to pay a fine. And so that was the backdrop. And that was a real historical event. It was something that was still going on when we went over there. Obviously, in the last couple of years, it has been changed to two children. But while when we went there, and the reason for adopting was because of that one-child policy. And so I did feel more of a connection to my sister because she was that much more special that was that was the full reason why we were there
0: wow that's really incredible and how old is your sister now
1: she is 12 and a half
0: wow uh do you still feel like reflect on that year of your life you spent studying chinese history and is that something of interest to
1: her or i've brought it up a couple times to her she doesn't seem too interested at the moment i think we can kind of point to that as she knows that she looks different from us. And I mean, it, it's, it's obvious she's, she's made uh, kind of light of it. She's, she's a bit of a jokester and she's made light of the fact that she doesn't look like us or that she's Chinese and um, does the over-exaggerated um, eyes. You know, she'll pull at the corners of her eyelids and say, I'm Chinese. And uh, she kind of makes light of that fact, but at the same time, her first language is Mandarin. She's lost most of it, um, but hmm. if she took a couple of courses, you know, if she took a year of of Mandarin, she would get that back very quickly, but she has no interest in that, and I think that's kind of her way of fitting in as an American, you know? Hmm. I think that she's kind of struggling with her identity at the moment, adopted versus part of a family Chinese versus American, you know, like she did grow up for a year and a half in China. So, mm-hmm. but she is a Chinese person, but at the same time, most of her memories, if not all of her memories are from being here in America and she is an American citizen. So I think she's kind of struggling with that at the moment. And this is kind of the, the time frame that, kids do struggle with those um it's those middle school years like i was saying earlier
0: yeah it was yeah it's interesting because it made me reminds me to what you were saying about your own middle school years and you know that this homeschooling and the year of studying chinese history was your way of kind of really kind of growing past what elementary school could do for you as a person and a student so you know maybe she'll find her own path
1: i think she will we just got to give her time
0: Yeah, of course. It's a really awkward year for everyone, those years. Um, So what made you then want to return to school in high school?
1: I felt like I had fully caught up um, academically and socially. So I felt that it was very important for me to be around other kids my age and continue to interact with them. Um grow my social skills, grow my interpersonal relationships. And I had a pretty good handle on my energy output. I had a pretty good handle on, well, actually, no, I didn't. I didn't have a very good handle <laughs> on my talking at all because I got in a lot of trouble during high school for uh, talking in class also. But... Um,
0: <clears throat> were you talking just to other students or were you talking back? Oh,
1: no, no, I wasn't... I, I'll clarify I wasn't I wasn't talking back to the teachers um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was talking to and distracting other students unfortunately gotcha. yeah <laughs>
0: so when you're in high school what kind of person were you like and how can we see that in the books that you gravitated to
1: I felt like I was somebody who was just trying to fit in in high school
0: hmm.
1: just because um, I felt like I didn't fit in I, I from mm. from the day that I got there I felt I that I was completely foreign to the social circles to the entire um, climate that was there the whole I, I, there, there's politics everywhere so all the politics mm-hmm. that was going on there people have to speak certain ways to certain people um, and uh, and that's actually exacerbated by the fact that it was a private school. So hmm. um, certain people had privileges there because their parents were, were donors to the school. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 It, uh, <laughs> it wasn't good, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately a couple of the parents got probably the best professor there fired um, because his class was, quote-unquote, too hard for them. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a college class. It's <laughs> a dual-enrollment class in high school. Wow. I'm, I'm so sorry that the workload was a little too much for your, your precious princess. But huh. that's, that's maybe a little too sardonic. But uh, regardless, he was one of my favorite teachers, so I'm, I'm kind of mad that he got yeah. fired for that. Like, his, his class was hard, but it needed to be. It was a college class. Sorry.
0: What, is te- what did he teach?
1: He was teaching both... Um, he was teaching geometry, trigonometry, and calculus. So oh, wow! there was like two or three people in his um, calculus class who were like, this is too hard. Yeah, I got to college and failed calculus. Of course it's hard. This is not an easy <laughs> subject. Take it again if you fail it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's just a backdrop for kind of... Um, why I didn't necessarily feel like um, like I fit in, because I'm, I'm somebody who I think usually says what he feels and states what's on his mind is not very politically correct. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't feel the need to constantly censor my speech or speak differently to different people. Just treat everybody with respect, and I think everybody will get along just fine and um so not not fitting in there and but wanting to fit in i hmm. just kind of read whatever everybody else was reading at the time hmm. and that was so, Like, go ahead yeah what was that um that was things like uh the scarlet letter um Wuthering Heights, which I actually came to enjoy Wuthering Heights quite a bit. But um, 1984, Ethan Fromm, The Great Gatsby, things of that nature. Um,
0: So these are all things you're saying that were assigned to you in high school? Yeah,
1: they were were all assigned. There wasn't a lot of pleasure reading in high school. It was all books that were assigned. And Mm -hmm. really, I only knew one or two people in my whole grade who read for pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. I still kind of keep up with one of them because I, I like her input on what books to read. Uh, she was always mm-hmm. a very voracious reader, but um, yeah, most of my other friends, they didn't, they didn't read much for pleasure outside of, outside of what was assigned.
0: So, when you're in a situation like that where you either don't have time or whatever's going on that the only books you're getting are books that are assigned to you and are classics, so-called classics, um, are, is your reading life doing anything for the rest of your life at that point or is it a resource at all or is it doing any kind of work for the things going on in your life, whether it's feeling like an outcast at school or whatever or, you know, what role is it playing in your
1: life? I don't think it played a huge role. But the role that it did play, mm. if any, was giving me something to either mutually discuss or complain about with my fellow students, um, mm. and that maybe opened a dialogue to where I could practice being that type of person, pr- practice getting along with people in my in my school. Maybe mm. I'm I'm not fully sold on that one. But but maybe maybe looking back, that's uh, positive that I can take away from it.
0: hmm I wonder if you went back and reread those books now outside of it being an assignment and outside of that situation if you'd probably be reading a different book.
1: Well, 1984 and Wuthering Heights are still two books that I that I quite enjoy. The rest of them not hmm. so much. I was not a fan so. Of those.
0: No, not a scarlet letter. Oh person.
1: my goodness. <laughs> want to talk about some dense prose? That is, uh, not for me. Yeah. Not for me.
0: A lot of guilt and a lot of dense prose.
1: That's um. <laughs> all over such, a, uh, such an outdated topic. That's probably why it's hard to connect with. It's like, yeah, okay, adultery. That happens in every TV show, every book, every novel, every every everything people bloat about it on Facebook even you can't get away from it so it's just it's such Hmm. a beat to death topic I feel like we're reading a 500 page novel about it's just not something I want to relive
0: yeah fair and yet 1984 is something that you'd want to relive I mean what did that what does that book mean to you
1: well, it's not necessarily something that I want to relive. It's just something that I could see a lot of parallels in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more of... Since that was a book that was kind of prophetic in in certain ways. But also a big warning. Whereas... I'll, I'll compare the two books. Scarlet Letter, I don't feel like was prophetic at all. I think that it was... Just, it it was um, a reactionary piece to the time that, oh gosh, I don't even remember the author's name. I can Google it real quick. But, um, that he was living in. You know, it was a very Puritan society. Um, people didn't do that very often. Um, and so it was, oh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, of course. Um, so, his short stories are actually quite good. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure why his, um, his novel is so bad. Not, not bad mm-hmm. like objectively, but bad to me. Um, it's just, to me, it's a, um, it's a story that I don't need to read about. It's not a warning. It's just a social criticism that's completely outdated. Whereas I think mm-hmm. with 1984, it is prophetic. And it is a social commentary that is fully relevant because, I mean, I I was in high school from 2007 to 2011. The Patriot Act was signed in 2006. And what Mm -hmm. happened? We All of these devices that started coming out with three, four, five, six cameras on them are all connected to the internet 24-7. And the Patriot Act Mm -hmm. literally gives... The NSA, the ability to log that data, and that's exactly what George Orwell was warning against. And I mean, you know, mm. I, I don't want to get super political on here because nobody repealed the Patriot Act still going, um, or at least I think it is. But regardless, the that whole climate, um, you've got the telescreens, well... Think about the, the platform that we're on right now, Skype. People can video chat each other instantly. And that's what a telescreen was. It was a two-way communication device with picture and sound. Yeah. And I mean, he just, he predicted all of these things that were going to happen and how we as a society are going to be baited into giving our, our liberties away through fear and. Mm-hmm. I just, I, that resonates so much with me because 2007 to 2011 was when I was in high school. I had two different presidents during that time and, uh, four, three different congresses, really. So I, I saw a lot of the things that were going on between both, uh, all that time and I'm like, man, that is relevant to me. And I think that's why 1984 stuck with me so much.
0: I'm wondering what kind of reading experience that is to go read something and be both terrified by it and think, I mean, what is the the benefit of reading something I that, think. is it because it affirms something that you feel is happening in your our world right now? Or because it doesn't really offer, are you looking for a solution? Are you just looking to have some kind of connection to someone who sees what you see happening in our world.
1: Right. I don't I don't think 1984 poses a lot of answers. <laughs> it's just no. a big warning like hey, if this happens, you guys are screwed. And Yeah. And I
0: So I mean, when you were you terrified reading really <laughs> like Oh, yeah. Thinking like
1: <laughs> and, and the funniest part to me is like everybody says spoiler alert for anybody who has not read 1984 the rat at the end uh, going to claw through his face is like the most horrifying thing in the book there are people who actually say that by the way I don't know if uh, if has ever told you that but there there are people mm. who who say that the rat is the most terrifying part like oh my gosh I would mm. never want that like I'll take the rat just don't give me that government my gosh please <laughs> give me the rat I'll take the rat any day of the week I mean the 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 totalitarian society, that'd be horrifying to live in, you yeah, know? Yeah, I'll take that yeah. any day of the week. Don't give me that society, please.
0: Hmm. Wow. So, just out of curiosity, what did *Withering Heights do for you? Why did that interest you?
1: Well, um, when I was in, in high school, I started using writing as a creative outlet to kind of get all of my thoughts down without being interrupted. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I mean, you have a conversation with somebody and then it ebbs and flows. Somebody else talks, subject changes. And then you didn't get everything out that you wanted to say. You're left thinking, but I have so much more to say. So by writing everything down, maybe not in one fell swoop, but in two or three sessions, maybe more if it's a longer piece, I can kind of get out everything, um, all my thoughts and just kind of empty my head. So I I started practicing writing and emulating the styles that I liked and the Gothic imagery from Wuthering Heights I thought was really beautiful. Um, the story in and of itself is just, it's kind of simple. There's, there's, there is a lot going on. It's a it's a dense book, but it's not like a super complex novel in terms of um, from going to point A to point B, it's a pretty simple narrative. So <clears throat> I really connected with the way things were described in the book, the way that the landscapes were described, um, just the, the gothic language and imagery. And so I started utilizing that in my own writing, um, just because I liked it so much. So that's kind of what um, stuck with me about Wuthering Heights. Um, Now I hate reading that book aloud because Thrushcross Grange is the hardest thing on earth (laughs) to say three times fast. But um,
0: were you reading it aloud in school? Oh my
1: gosh, they they kept asking my my professor kept asking for people to read aloud in class and I was like, please don't pick me, please don't pick me because <laughs> I have um, I have a bit of a speech impediment, unfortunately. And um, mm-hmm. I slur words every once in a while when I'm not hyper focused on what I'm saying. So Thrush Cross Grange was even harder for me to pronounce back then. Uh, it's gotten better since. But um, reading aloud was my least favorite thing to do in high school Mm. so when when Wuthering Heights was being read aloud and it was you know half a chapter or whatever because we couldn't get through an entire chapter in 50 minutes but uh (laughs) you know they're long chapters but um Mm. the when it's read aloud by somebody who can speak very eloquently I think it's a very beautiful book it's it's very beautiful language the now, some people might say it's it's dire or it's it's dark, it's dreary, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's beautiful.
0: Hmm. Wow. And are you using that kind of gothic language? Are you describing in your writing scenes in Florida where you live?
1: I try to. Um, it helps when when it rains. Um a lot of hmm. my my writings focus on rain and um maybe maybe it's a little too depressing but just like rain thunderstorms bad violent weather because that's more that is more in line with gothic uh imagery than mm-hmm. sunny florida beaches you know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's in- it's an interesting juxtaposition to think of florida as a gothic space so that's <laughs> intriguing
1: hmm i i usually move my settings to areas that i can um Incorporate more gothic imagery. Like, um... One of my favorite places to write about is... In the mountains. The rolling mountains, the trees... The way that the tree limbs hang over you. Um... Kind of casting evil-looking shadows on the ground. Um... The mountains obscuring what's behind them. Uh... Radio towers sitting atop, like a... Like a hat. Or, um... Just, just kind of that imagery that you would think about. You Google North Carolina, you Google Tennessee and mountains, something like that, and look at it. And uh, in the summer, that kind of landscape, I feel like, is more suited towards a uh, gothic imagery than flat, boring, sunny Florida.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting that you're so self-consciously as a reader thinking about what you might want to use as a writer in your own work, the kinds of things that you admire or want to incorporate.
1: Oh yeah. I've I've been doing that Hmm. basically since I was 16.
0: Hmm. Have you, so do you write mostly fiction?
1: Started out mainly as nonfiction, um, but allegory. So the story would be fiction but everything in the, I think most writers do this, they, they pull from their own life, but um, I would do it allegorically as a way to kind of make sense mm-hmm. of things that have happened. Um, hmm. Incidents that I'd rather forget about or that I bury, Everybody, everybody's got them. Mm-hmm. Things, we, things mm-hmm. we wish we had said here, things we wish we had done here, things we failed at that we, sh- we wish we had succeeded at. Um and mm-hmm. so I think my earliest stuff that I wrote was all pulling directly from my life. There was very little changed except for names um and sometimes small plot points that didn't matter much. But um <sighs> mostly recently it's all been fiction. I haven't really written too much in the past two years um actually about three years i haven't written much i took uh Hmm. i took a pretty big step back from writing after the uh after the shooting Hmm. at fsu
0: are you comfortable talking about that i can talk about it okay um for our chapters listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you visit Audible.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you can download an audiobook for free. Why not check out Harry Potter? You can find all seven books on their site. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com chapters. Again, that's audibletrial.com chapters. For your free audiobook. Now, let's get back to the show. So, do you maybe want to tell us? So, you are a student at FSU, yes. And what year were you in in school when this took place? It was
1: my it was my last semester. Um, I was a senior, and I was about two and a half weeks away from graduation. So I was doing my, my final papers for a couple of classes and, um, specifically for a history of Christianity, um, course that I was taking at the time. And, um, that professor was adamant about using non-internet sources. So a bunch of us were constantly in the library checking out books, figuring out what sources we were going to use. And I decided that I was going to write about John Wycliffe. Um, I thought that his story was very interesting. and um,
0: Who is he, maybe, if for people who don't know?
1: John Wycliffe is a guy back in... Um, gosh, I want to say it's either the 1200s or 1300s. I forget exactly when, but... Uh, yeah, thirteen. he was born in 1320. So it was the 1300s. But what he did is he was um, not happy with the way that the Bible was being used in Latin. That it was uh, only for the uh, popes and the bishops and whatnot. Sorry, pope, singular. Um, and bishops of the church to read from. And none of the None of the, 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 lay were able to, or, or the, uh, the congregation, right, the, the commoners, none of them could read the Bible for themselves. So what he did was he went back to the, the source, uh, material, the Aramaic, the Hebrew, and the Greek of the, uh, of, of the Bible, and he did a translation into English now it wasn't um, into the english that we know nowadays it was old english but it was so that the commoners could understand and read the bible for themselves well that was a, that was a big no no um, the catholic church was not happy at all about that and um, so hmm. i forget exactly how he died i want to say he was one of the ones that didn't didn't get Killed by the Catholic Church. There was a, there were two there were two or three people who didn't get killed by the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was was um, fighting some uh, civil war type thing, and um, then their bodies were later dug up. The Pope execu- excommunicated them, burned their their bones, and then buried them again. It was it was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous. I don't think he was one of the ones um did that but regardless um he was uh he was excommunicated at some point in time from the church uh they they really didn't like him at all and uh he kind of paved way for luther and calvin a couple or it's like 100 or so years later uh maybe 150 years later for them to come in and also do their own translations and have uh people break away and you know, the Protestant movement and all that. So I liked, I liked his story a lot. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for, for rebels in history. Hmm. So he was my, my choice to write about. Um, and so I was in the library the night of, uh, November 20th. And, uh, I had checked out my books Um, I had been in there for a couple hours at that point, written some of my paper, and, uh, I figured I was going to go back to my house and finish my paper there so that I could get two or three hours of sleep before class. So I checked out my books, I put them in my backpack, and a couple seconds after walking out of the front doors, I heard a gunshot go off behind me. And I wanted to rationalize it and say, okay, some, some idiots playing with fireworks, People have done that before, but I, I live in Apopka. Um, for those who don't understand what that means, it means everybody has guns here. Um, there's It's very backwoods, redneck area of Orlando. So I, I've shot guns before. I know what they sound like. I knew it was a gun that went off behind me, and so I was kind of stunned. I turned around, and the shooter had already made his way over to the next person that he was going to shoot, And it was about 50 yards away from me. And he shot, uh, Ronnie there right in front of me. And he dropped to the ground. And that's when my fight or flight instinct kicked in. And I was like, well, I know I'm not armed, so I need to run. Um, there's, there's some cover nearby. So I just turned and sprinted away. Um, I didn't hear any other gunshots go off other than the ones that were, were shot at Ronnie. And, um, there were a couple people nearby who also heard what was going on. because Strozier Stroger Library, there's a lot of people that hang out out front of it. Um, there's like a Starbucks inside. There's picnic tables, a bike rack. So people will ride their bikes up and go sit on Landis Green or uh, grab some Starbucks and, and sit around talking out there. So they heard what was going on, saw me running by, probably white as a ghost, and said, were there was gunshots? And I yelled, oh. yeah, call 911. So they all scattered Uh, They jumped in cars. They ran behind a building um, to make sure that they were, you know, they couldn't see him. We were all behind cover at this point. But um, they just wanted to get the heck out of there. So I run to my car. Uh, I called 911. I called my parents. I told them what had happened. um, And I sped away. I got the heck out of there. I wasn't sticking around with with someone with a gun running around on campus. Um, And... Mm. I got home. I woke my roommate up. I told him what happened. He asked if I was okay. I said, "Yeah, I'm cool." You know, I, ju- I just saw it happen, um, but I- I'm okay. Posted on Facebook what had happened, that it, that I was okay and whatnot, and uh, took on my laptop, started looking around to see, you know, had I caught the guy? there's still an ongoing thing. What's going on? Just any news. I did that for about an hour. And the the Twitter feed stopped updating. So I was like, okay, well, and this was, this was my naive, stupid mind. I was like, well, now I need to get back on my paper. Like that was the whole point of me being in the library was my stupid paper that was due the next day. <laughs> so I pulled out my books and the cover was blown off of the book and I picked it up and I looked at the second book and there was uh there was a big hole in that book too on just one side and there was nothing coming out the other side so I dropped the books back in the backpack and um, I went back in woke up my roommate I told him what I had seen and he, uh, he didn't believe me so he walked into my room and took the books out of my bag saw it for himself and then dumped the contents of my backpack on the floor and sure enough a bullet was sitting on top of the pile
0: oh my gosh
1: so at that point, I called nine one one again, and I told them, "Yeah, I, I was uh, I was one of the people hit, and I've got evidence for them, and I'm willing to make a statement, and all this." Like now, my logic side was kicking in. Like, okay, if I'm part of an emergency, what do I do? Call nine one one, you know, file a police report, do this, do that, call parents, make sure that they know. Um, the emotional side of it hadn't really hit yet, and. Um, so I called my parents, and they were like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! You just said you were fine, but now you're saying you were hit." And I'm like, "No, no, no! I'm fine, but my books were hit. I, you know, he shot at me. I, my books were hit." Um, and so they uh, they came up the next day, and it was a bit of a media circus after that. But there we go. That's uh, that's kind of what happened.
0: Wow. I, I can't even imagine what that was like. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the media covering you probably noted the cliche of people who typically say a book saved my life. And here you are literally in that position. Right. And I'm just wondering what things, what, what life has been like for you after that. I mean, thankfully you were not injured in that event, but I'm sure it it's traumatizing nonetheless to be party to such a violent event and I'm wondering the ways that it shaped your life and for the purposes of this show um, your relationship with reading and with books you mentioned before that you creative writing was an important outlet for you when you were younger um, to deal with stress or things in your life and I'm wondering now you said you had to take a break from those things how it's affected your life as a writer and a reader
1: For the most part, it's had, um, pretty much a negative effect on reading. I feel like it should be the opposite, but for whatever reason, my, my brain doesn't work that way. Mm. And in terms of, um, those events, reading, writing, and running were three things that I did quite often before the, um, before the shooting. They're three things that I really dislike doing now. Um, I haven't done a lot of reading in the past three years either. Mm. um, Which is really sad because my my reading life prior to the shooting was very good. Um, I read a lot through a lot of creative um, or sorry, pleasure pieces throughout um, college. And I read everything for my, my classes that were assigned as well. But since then... I just, there's, there's a negative connotation. I mean, there's a positive connotation too, but there's a negative connotation to reading, to writing, and to running. Mm. And, um, I, I'm trying to get out of that funk. You know, I've been trying to write things here and there. I've read a couple of, of small, smaller books since then. And my sister has recently gotten into Harry Potter as well. So. I read the first book again with her, but other than that there hasn't been a lot mm. of uh positive reading for me.
0: And what happens when you try to read is it just, you know, too difficult and you have to stop or
1: Um my mom gave me a book that she wanted me to read. And I think I got two or three chapters into it and I just I had this really Negative emotional reaction to it, mm. and it wasn't a negative book either. like some books you know are are depressing and dour and they have negative elements to it, and they're hard to read. but I think objectively this book is pretty easy to read, mm. but I was finding it very difficult to um to stay happy while reading,
0: yeah, it. I think sometimes too, no matter what you go through in life, sometimes people very extremely well-intentioned, will offer books as something that can help. You know, if you're grieving a loss of someone or if you're sick or whatever it is, people will offer a book that may be of comfort and it sounds like that's the opposite of what maybe you need.
1: I think in a lot of cases, books can be very good after traumatic events. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've, I've found that the best... I think the best things that I've done since then have been traveling. Um, I've, I've spoken with a, uh, with a professional um, mental health counselor uh, since then. FSU provided one um, after, after the shooting for a year. And um, that really helps t- just kind of making sense of everything yeah. and um, working through survivor's guilt, working through, um the uncontrollable nature of our lives and that this wasn't you know a targeted event he didn't target me because of who i was he didn't target me because you know i i did something to him in the past he didn't target me because anything was my fault it was just he targeted people and it was random and i happened to be there so kind of working through that and then also taking that negative connotation off of, off of firearms as well. Um going to get my concealed carry permit and taking a, a weapon safety course and in a, in a space that was very controlled, being able to handle a firearm and shoot one. Um, I think those were the three biggest things that have, that have been helping me mm. since then. And I'd like to find ways to, take all the other negative connotations and flip them around to positive ones. Because I think taking control after a a traumatic event is one of the best ways to get rid of some of that trauma and flip negative connotations into positive ones. And I think I've been searching for ways to flip that negative connotation in writing and reading, specifically, Mm -hmm. back to a positive one. And I just think it takes time. I really do. I think it takes time.
0: Well, it seems like, you know, you're finding ways to make meaning of the terrible thing that happened to you. And that's in large part why people sometimes turn to books in the first place, if not just for entertainment, to find stories or language or something that can help them make meaning of their lives just on an everyday ordinary basis. So if you found other things that can help you do that, it seems like that's a positive, very positive thing. I think so. So do you, is reading something you want to return to, or are you just going to give yourself some space and time?
1: Reading is definitely something that I do want to return to. And I think one of the big reasons for that is, um, I I miss the stories. I miss the adventures. Mm. I I mentioned I've been traveling a lot, and that's kind of uh, a surrogate for those adventures. Mm. Mm. But um, you know, traveling is expensive and it's time consuming. It's energy consuming. So it's it's a good surrogate, but it's not a sustainable one like reading is. Mm. And so I'd like to I'd like to return to that and I have I have um, one book in mind that I might try. And it's because I like the series so much. It's uh, the Millennium series, like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. Girl Who Played with Fire, yeah. Girl Who Kicked the Hornets' Nest. Um, the author of those um, unfortunately had a heart attack and died. But uh he left behind uh, an unfinished manuscript for the fourth book. Hmm. So, I'm I'm thinking about just ordering that book and attempting to read it because I like that series so much, and I'm already kind of invested in in Elizabeth Salander right? And uh, and her story, and and you know,
0: are you afraid? All of that. Are you afraid of encountering violence on the page after it encountering it in real life?
1: I don't think so. Um, I'm also a huge movie fan um and i was i was pretty i was pretty wary of um going into movies that had uh violence in them especially gun violence and uh hearing you know that that realistic well not all not all movies that have gun violence sound realistic <laughs> most of them don't but there there's the one-off movie here and there that has realistic sounding gunfire and um i was i was wary about that specifically because of the sound element of it. But I've found that um, after taking that firearms um, safety course and getting my concealed carry permit, a lot of that sound doesn't have an effect on me anymore. Um, fireworks were really bad for a while, yeah. but um, I've been able to, to sit through fireworks displays over the past year, and um, it's gotten a lot better. So I don't think, and now obviously I haven't tried yet, but I don't think that um, violence on the page will affect me that much, but it could. Um, I'll just have to see when I get there.
0: Yeah, and just be kind to yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much. I mean, I'd love to hear back from you if you attempt to read this book or just, you know, to see how it goes and see how you're doing.
1: I will, I'll definitely message you. Um, if, if I make it through it.
0: Yeah, you know, and yeah, I, yeah, that's a very tough thing. I'm very sorry. But thank you for sharing your story with us, because I know I'm sure it's a very tough thing to talk about. Absolutely. I'd like to thank our guest Jason for sharing his story with us. I'd also like to thank our technical director Taylor for all of her help. You can follow us on Instagram at chapterspod. There you'll find shelfies submitted by our guests, including Jason. You can find us on Twitter at ChaptersPod. You can find me at MaryMahoney123 and Taylor at MJTThePhD. Visit our website, www.ChaptersPod.com, if you'd like to share your story on chapters. You can also find links to every book mentioned on this and every episode on our website. Follow our page on Facebook, and you can get updates on the show, and join conversations about each episode with other listeners. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us in the iTunes store. It really helps listeners find our show. Thanks for listening.